Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the broadcast. Um, I'm your co-host, David Brooks, Head of Policy here at Broadstone, and I'm joined by Rachel Meadows, who is Head of Proposition, Pensions and Savings, also here at Broadstone. So hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Dave. Good. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. And we have it's a special episode this week um, because we have our first ever returning guest, someone who enjoyed it so much they wanted to come back. So we're joined by Margaret Snowden, OBE again. Hi, Margaret. How are you? Uh, hi, I'm I'm well. It's been a bit of a, a busy week with one thing um, and another, but it's nice that it's a, a sort of a later week now. It's really... <laughs> yeah, so a bit of context for your listeners, you know, who knows when you're listening to this, but this is the Friday of budget week. So we had the budget on Wednesday and we we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But um, yes, yeah, so we're all a bit frazzled, I think, trying to work out <laughs> what that all means and how it's all going to work and Yes, we'll come on to it. We'll come on to it. Um, <laughs> so first up, Marguerite, we couldn't have you on without talking about um, scams. So um, first up, where are we with the uh, the scams code? If you can give us an update, that'd be great. Yeah, it's um, part of the reason for being a very busy um, this week is we've um, just been putting the finishing touches on the, um, the, the new guide. Um, which is an interim guide, but um, it's been a long time in the making, but um, but we decided that um, we wanted to publish some help for the industry following the 2021 um, regulations. And, and we spoke a little bit about that um, last time, um, but just for the audience, we're not publishing the whole code. We're publishing one volume of the code, which is the practitioner notes which um, we're calling a, a practitioner guide. A practitioner guide. Um, now, it runs to about 50 pages, so it's not just a, a, a snap um, read for, for a, an evening, but, um, but what, what it does is it um, explains the 21 regulations and it sets out the options that schemes have you know, around um, transfers. And, and the objective is to make transfers as safe and as, as quick as um, possible and um, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that um, the finishing touches have been put on just as we're speaking um, so it's it's looking to be published on Monday um, so look out for that um, and um, it um, has already been described as a great asset for the pensions industry so, so I'm feeling quite chipper um, oh. about that so we'll wait and see what um, what people think of it um, when it's out but um, you know Monday um, is going to be a big day for PSEG um, because it's it literally it's been thousands of man hours um, to produce this guide so so hopefully the industry's kind um, to us and it does <laughs> make a bit of a difference. <laughs> well I think the industry will be kind you know we are always grateful for these kind of you know guidance for everyone to kind of come together because I don't think there's many industries that there's this level of you know collaboration between you know let's be frank competitors you know we are all you know we're all trying to make, make a living you know looking after pension schemes the best way we can but but to come together to look after um people the members you know and and ensure we're all doing things in the right way the best way to, to stop scams i think that's commendable really i think we should all commend that no absolutely and um and it's been great you know the number of people um and it's a long list the number of people who've helped um, around this and um, you know obviously it's it's not part of the day job really mm. but um, but they've been yeah. willing to come together and um, we've had an astonishing amount of legal input pro bono um, legal input to it um, and that's quite encouraging um, mm. but hopefully 
um, you know, schemes will be able to look at the guidance and say, well, there is something in this for everyone. Um, and, you know, dare I say, I don't need to go running off speaking to our lawyers every five minutes. So hopefully it is kind of practical, but um, but it'll be interesting to see how it's received. And um, even more interesting will be when, you know, the DWP publishes its review of the mm. 21 regulations, and that's likely um, to come out fairly soon. Okay, well, so soon being springtime, um, you know, well, it depends on how you define it, but um, but yeah, we're <laughs> looking for um, so late spring, um, okay. maybe very early summer. Um, they'll come out um, with a review, um, and you know, we hope they'll conclude that one or two things will need to change. Um, you know, the policy intent was correct, and it's still correct mm. in my view. So, um, so there may be a few tweaks, um, and you know, that would help. Um, just settle in the guide a bit because the guide does actually deal with the issues a little bit and how to navigate them. So, um, so once once we get that, um, I'm sure we'll go through another process of consultation. But we'll be getting our um, sort of pens and paper out again and um, looking to update the full code um, once we know the way the land lies. So. Um, Probably the end of this year, we'll be looking at um, you know the next version of the full code. So, is that what's next on the agenda for for PSIG? Is that the next big thing for you to deal with, or you've got other things, other irons in the fire? Yeah, well, we've we've got loads of irons in the fire. We just need, <laughs> as I've said before, we just need money to be able to um, you know carry some of them out. But um, because we we have no money um, at all, um, so um, so once once. Once we let the dust settle a little bit on the on the guide, um, we'll be then looking at um, a couple of things. One one being, as I, I've mentioned um, before, an intelligence database because um, they're quite keen that um, we can all share, you know, mm. the the concerns instead of it being, you know, held as intellectual property you know within you know 100 different firms it would be quite good if we could um, have a central controlled repository for for some of that um so we're, we're exploring that trying to see if we can raise funds um so we'll see how that goes but there's certainly quite a lot of interest in it um from all sides including government so um mm. we'll see what um, we'll see what happens there um and the other thing we're um, we're looking um, to do, if we can, is gather up a volume of scam cases, um, because you know, you know, people just keep saying to us, "Yeah, we we understand the general thing. We understand kind of what scammers do, but we don't really know what it what it looks like in practice." So we're going to look and see if we can gather, you know, some anonymized case studies so that people can see the type of things. We, we, we started doing this quite a while ago and, and we kind of stopped because it was difficult to correct, collect um, case studies. But um, but now we think there's probably more appetite for it. And, you know, there was, there was some opposition, you know, saying, well, if you publish too much about what's done, you're just giving scammers, you know, almost a training manual. Um, but, you know, if you sort of rationalise it a bit, we're collecting examples that are already in play. So we're not exactly giving them a training manual. They're giving us the training manual um, yeah. to some extent um, every day. Mm. So, so you know, that will keep us busy for the next um, year, I'm quite sure. Yeah, thank you for that. Fantastic. 
So we alluded to this at the start of the session, but this week's budget did include an awful lot on pensions. So, Margaret, what's your opinion of the changes? Do you think largely it's good news for the industry and for pension savers or a bit of a wooden spoon? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a bit of both, actually. Um, I must admit, I'm, I'm always concerned when we get new regulations and new ideas being put out um, because it usually means a lot more work and a lot more confusion um, and a lot more distrust almost um, of pensions because if you never know what the future shape is going to be, how you know, you're supposed to plan, you know, how you, you, know, you, just, you just don't feel safe. Um, so constant tinkering is actually a bad thing. But in terms of a couple of the changes um, within the budget, I, I think I think they're quite good, um, not necessarily for the reasons that you see in the press, but I, I think taking away the lifetime allowance um, is quite a positive message about the value and the importance of having enough money in retirement um, to spend yeah. and keep the economy going. You know, all, all sorts of them, all sorts of reasons. But of course, we, we get it jumped on as something that benefits the rich, the fur, it must be a bad thing. But I, I look at it that the, the LTA was a bad thing um, and it's now being removed. So I think that's um, pretty good. But I do I do appreciate all the, the comments about it helping the rich um, more than the poor. Um, and yes, it does. Um, you know, there's no there's no question. But it was a bit bold um, and I say a little bit marmite. Um, and as with a lot of these announcements that we get in the, the budget, the devil's in the detail. But not only that, is it's always something that's going to happen at some time in the future. Um, so the LTA, um, you know, obviously, you know, still exists into next year. It's sort of played around with so that there won't actually be an effective um, limit, but it still needs a finance act to to take it away altogether. So until that finance act happens, um, and it takes quite a long time to do all that, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of opposition. Um, so it could it could be well beyond the next election before we actually get a change. And of course, the first thing that the opposition did was say they would can it. So, you know, you're left, you know, not knowing whether to jump in and take advantage or whether you know, that will scupper your, um, your, any protections you might have had for the, the various changes over the years. So, so it's, it's, it's good, um, but it's a bit like a, a curate's egg. I think the, um, the, the raising of the annual allowances um, was actually quite a good thing as well um, to allow people to put more in, because again, that's a positive message about um, saving for retirement. Whether it all um, have the effect that um, government wants, which is to bring back all the early retireds into work, I really don't think so. I don't think people make the decision um, on retirement on that basis. But um, but it, it does it does say that pensions are important and we're trying to limit barriers. So so I quite like it um, from from that perspective. But you know we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, and the little things that sneak in that you don't really see on the headline or even listening 
to the Chancellor, um, you know, things like the tax-free cash sum available being capped. Um, so there's almost like you you can't be given just something that's wholly good. You've got to have some other yeah. bits in it. So so, but it's 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 a bit like hokey cokey. You know, you you put your right foot in and then you put your right foot out. Um, so we're kind of shaking it all about at the moment. But um, I think the biggest the biggest thing that I really thought was good and it's something that I think should have been done quite a long time is extending childcare um, and the availability of free childcare because. What that will do is allow women to come back into the workforce um, and it will help narrow the gender um, pay gap and the gender pensions gap as well. So um, so I think I think that's um, a real positive. But um, until they come into force, they're all sound bites. As I say, everything's, you know, 24 or 25. Um, and I, I must admit, I'm, I'm not very patient for those um, kind of deadlines. <laughs> yes, well, I'm sure young parents who are currently paying childcare fees are even less patient as well. And the absolutely. absolutely. Even older parents as well. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's, a, that's a whole other story. Yes, we haven't got long Indeed. enough for that. <laughs> I mean, the other pensions good news in the budget did relate to the money purchase annual allowance, didn't it? And I, th yes. I think um, that that was quite straightforward good news especially for older workers who've perhaps had to dip into the pension pots during COVID Indeed. or during the financial crisis, you know, the cost of living crisis. And it really does just remove that onerous limit for those people, doesn't it, in all effect? Yeah, and it, it was a minefield um, because people weren't particularly aware that they were going to be caught. And, um, you know, the last thing, particularly people who aren't wealthy, um, need is, you know, the inadvertently to have to pay more tax um, on some of their hard-earned um, money and savings. So, so I think that is a positive. Um, and I think it's been called for to change ever since it was introduced because it was quite a penal um, thing to do. It was almost kind of sour grapes. We don't like people who are saving for a pension. So so I, I like to see all that change. That's that's pretty positive. So um, so well done, the Chancellor, for um, grappling with it. But we'll see what happens um, in the fullness of time. <laughs> well, you're keeping your powder dry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I'm not I'm not rushing to take my um, tax free cash um, quickly or retire quickly now, so that um, so that for some reason I might save a couple of pennies um, in tax. Mm, I think that's wise. I don't know, Rachel. What do you think? Do you think that's a wise thing for people to be doing? It's it's, a, it's an important question yes. actually, because this is a real weird time. You've got this few weeks before sixth of April. We've got then we've got this interim transitional period I mean yeah. what would you think people should be doing? I, I think there is um, there's a real fine line to walk here because I suppose the first group that's going to be immediately impacted is perhaps pension savers who are further into the career they've perhaps been getting close to the lifetime allowance or, or gone over and they might have curtailed their pension saving um, in recent years so that they don't go over, especially if you've had a DC pot that you've invested well, you've had nice investment growth, uh, you know, and you're expecting to work on for a few years. So I suppose for that group of people, the idea of the lifetime allowance going, assuming that it sticks, does make life a lot more straightforward. And actually for, the, for that group, I, I think they probably should look, you know, reasonably swiftly at what available annual allowance they might have for this year 
do they even have carry forward relief available? Because you know, we talked about the political hokey cokey and whether the Labour Party might reverse the changes in the future. And But even if they do, they're unlikely to be retrospective. So there is a window of opportunity now for people who have felt a bit limited on pension saving to be able to put more in. Mm. Um, there is the question as well, if the Labour Party did reinstate a lifetime allowance, would they reinstate it at the same arguably pretty low level that it's been so i think that again gives you some comfort yeah. i think when so it was, um, the only um area i was going to say where i think margaret was absolutely right is um in terms of cautioning against making very big life decisions just yet off the back of the changes so are you retiring right now or are you you know committing to work for another you know another five years if you've got to tie in you would probably just be taking a little bit more of a balanced approach yeah and I, th I think balance is always the right thing and just making sure that you think it through um you know because it's so easy to trip up um, and get it wrong but um, but I, I, I do you, you were talking about people who've you know had fairly long careers but they've been holding back from paying into pensions in case they breached the cap what an opportunity lost um, yeah. and you know the modest change to um, sort of contribution limits isn't necessarily going to make a big difference but every little helps um, and I, I just think it's a positive message um, for pensions rather than pensions somehow being the the bet noir um, I think it's it's pretty good to say yeah this is an important topic um, so um, so great in some ways that almost indicates that the lifetime allowance was a reasonably bad tax or a bad limit in any case if if it's a tax or limit that's in place that's then influencing people's decisions in an active way life decisions you know the the tax tail should never wag the decision dog should it so that no that's absolutely right i mean there, there are all sorts of you know very logical reasons for putting a limit on um but you know I, I still think it's a little bit perverse to limit on the inside in the way in and then also limit on the way out you know if you want to limit tax relief there are various ways to do that that can be fairer um and more targeted on the on the, the lower um earners rather than higher earners so, so the, there are other ways to skin that cat so so maybe you know this change is is the beginning of that thinking process so that would be that would be positive. Let's watch this space. Yeah, indeed. I suppose changing the subject slightly, but still staying um, on a positive theme in terms of you know saver outcomes. Let's talk a little bit about the consumer duty. So just for the benefit of any listeners that aren't familiar with the consumer duty, I'm sure most of us are, but it's um, this new principle introduced by the Financial Conduct Authority. Uh, which brings in uh, a whole series of measures, but that essentially boils back to the principle that firms must act to deliver good outcomes for retail customers. So, Margaret, consumer duty seems to have generated an awful lot of activity across financial services. For the moment, it only applies to FCA regulated providers. Do you see any read across to other providers? I do actually. Um, I, I did actually bring it up <clears throat> at a, a, a trustee, a meeting of trustees, and um, and I said, you know, how about we look at this consumer, consumer duty um, stuff? And they just said, 
doesn't apply to us, go away. You know, so I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> oh, that's <gosh>. me. <laughs> it happens to me a lot, but um, but um, I, I I do think it applies. And and as you said, um, Rachel, it's some um, it's principles, um, and the principles do apply. <clears throat> I think one of the one of the mistakes we make is that we always have to label everything with something, when really what you're saying is everybody should do the right thing for their customers or for their members. And, you know, that's the, the first principle um, and it works quite well, but then we get it all in a fine call by introducing sort of rules and, and we introduce, you know, measurements and, you know, paperwork and, you know, you end up, you know, you mentioned the tail wagging the dog, you sometimes, you know, do get, you know, the wrong end of, of some of this and and I always say that um, you know people who want to do the best for their customers will do that without having any standards round about them because it's just the way they are so so good does good um, so really a lot of these things are to try and you know make sure that the ones who don't think that way get um, pulled into line and um, sadly it's kind of necessary but um, I'm sure we'll find as usual the good guys will be the ones that spend a lot uh, trying to make sure they're absolutely squeaky clean and squeaky clean plus whereas others will drag their heels a little bit anyway but such is such is life but you're right it is only aimed at um, you know regulated providers and retail customers but retail customers are, are really just um, people who are not wealthy and who are not experts. You know, that's a, that's a very layman's um, term, but um, but that's just like most, you know, trust-based um, members as well. You know, they're not experts. So um, so I think an awful lot of the, um, the messages that are in consumer duty can very easily read across. And, um, you know, I would really like, to see both sides of the regulatory um, divide defining value for money exactly the same way. Um, you know, and you know, it bugs me a little bit that we get value for money on one side and value for members on the other. Why? You know, you know, it's it's almost like artificially classifying customers, and they all need fair outcomes. Um, so yes, I see lots of lots of money being spent on consumer duty. One of the good things about it, you know, with fines um, is it's actually caused some very senior people to sit up and pay attention um, when, you know, you could argue maybe they were a little bit asleep at the wheel uh, beforehand, just letting everything carry on as normal. Um, but now realising that perhaps some of the products aren't as good at delivering outcomes as perhaps they'd fooled themselves into thinking they were. So um, some change there, and that's a good thing. But um, but yeah, I would like to I would like to see the principles at least very clearly applied across the whole of the financial sector, um, and and not have these you know artificial um, divides. But I think you're absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, and I suppose you know stepping outside of product design itself, the two other key areas which I think have got such potential just to translate across the industry as a whole are the concept of avoiding foreseeable harm. That's just common sense and surely we're all aiming for that that outcome and trying to correct the information imbalance so that we're making sure communications are clear, 
consumers can understand what it is they're saving into or buying into. And we should really embrace that, especially as an industry, which on the whole really does offer very good products and good ways for people to save for the future or provide protection for their family. Making sure that people understand that and can embrace that. It makes makes good sense business wise as well as common sense and outcomes wise. Yeah, and uh, so so I would I would certainly encourage um, all companies, whether they're FCA regulated or not, you know, to just take those principles into account. But if the regulators could join up and use the same language and the same definitions, it would certainly help. But I know lots of lots of people have been concerned by the fact that FCA now talks about good outcomes, where it always before it talked about fair outcomes, mm -hmm. and that's caused a little bit of um, consternation. But I think it's good to stir things up a little bit. But, um, you know, and, and you've mentioned foreseeable harm. You then get the arguments about how much is foreseeable and what do you really mean? And uh, I thought, oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, as, as you eloquently <laughs> said, we all kind of know what that is. Yeah, so let's let's get on and do it. But um, but yeah, I wouldn't like to see a huge army um, set out to deliver consumer duty when you know really what we want is just to provide you know the right thing to the right people at the right time. Yeah, and just make sure the lessons are learned are sort of passed across. You know, both sides. You know, we still you know refer the contract base and the trust base. Just making sure they're all doing the best the best we can, and and also the the focus. I think. Perhaps the focus historically amongst administrators has been well, the trustee is the client, and will do whatever they say. When I think that I think that's changing now, and you you do see administrators saying, "Well, we're doing this on this client. Well, there's no reason why we can't do this on because it's good across all our schemes." And just telling the trustees, "We reviewed our statements, or we reviewed our process, and this is a better way of doing it, and we're just going to do it." I think that's something that's happening a lot more. Are you seeing that as well? I think. Yeah, no, it, it is a bit. There's still a bit of um, kind of stickiness, um, you know, where administrators don't really feel that the members are their members, mm. um, and trustees encourage that as well. You know, with sometimes reluctance to go beyond, you know, the traditional boundaries and trying to help people, trying mm. to give information on other things. Um, you know, not just pure the pension scheme and that particular individual's um, potential benefits. So, so there are still barriers. Um, and I think once we really get to open pensions and open data going across the financial sector, then I think we will begin to you know, break down those barriers of who owns the data, because actually the data is owned by the individual. Mm. It actually always has been. But, um, you know, we sometimes need to learn that, that, um, you know, it's all about member um, consent and member permissions for using information, not some um, gatekeeper who means mm. very well. Well, as an expert in segues, this feels like <laughs> <laughs> it feels like pensions dashboards are just screaming at me now when you're just talking about data, who owns it, what we're going to do with it. So. Just before, well, in the weeks before, slightly before recording, we, it was announced that there was a delay in the dashboards um, and you had a real mixed reaction from the industry. Some people feeling, well, that's it. It's all going to fall apart. Others thinking this is just an opportunity to do it better and do it right. What, what's, what's, your, what's your sense of where we are with the dashboards? Well, I'm, I'm trying to be very measured and very polite um gosh okay I'm, 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 I'm terribly frustrated 
um, right. by a dashboard because it's been it's been an idea in discussion for rather a long time and it suffered a little bit from the moods of government um, a little bit um, but the biggest the biggest problem is is caution absolute caution and fear that something might go wrong um, and you know if, if we took that attitude we'd probably still be dragging things around on sleds rather than you know getting a risk with some wheels um, so you know I'm, I, I'm not I'm not happy to see it delayed um, I understand you know the reasons for delaying it but I think it's an overabundance of caution um, and, you know, to be honest, there are commercial dashboards out there, um, you know, dealing with a whole raft of very sensitive information and dealing with it safely. Um, so, you know, there really isn't a, a, a solid reason for not just jumping in with um, with some of this. And, um, and really what I wanted, and I was involved in way back in the original um, steering group in 2016. Um, and within a number of weeks, we built a working prototype. Now, it was a little bit smoke and mirrors um, because it was a prototype. But, you know, it disappoints me to see the same shot still being used as communicating dashboard when, you know, that was, you know, <laughs> six years ago um mm. so so we, we we've lost a lot of time um and you know there's been a lot of opportunity for people not to get on and make sure the data's clean enough mm. um i i don't think there's any excuse to be honest around data um because it's it's a, a primary fiduciary duty you know to be able to hold the correct information for your scheme members so if you don't then you need to fix that it's quite simple. Um, but the requirements of dashboard have been dumbed down quite a bit. You know, so there is a limited amount of information that's going to be collected. So so I, I just don't I don't really buy all the delays. But the reality is we are where we are um, mm. and it has been delayed. And there's been a lot of um, tunnering about, you know, making sure that, you know, the dates are pushed back to give us all time. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if when it comes to the time there'll be another push to say well we still haven't quite got it yet so let's wait but um pensions is a very cautious industry yeah. um and we tend to think we're the center of the universe as well um and in the meantime dashboards are all around us dealing with debt mortgages you know pensions if people are willing to put the pension information in it can be it can be used or if it can be even scraped you know you can you can get all that data in so um so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed um but i hope it ends up in a very good dashboard but part of me just thinks we should just do it just yeah. go on with it mm -hmm. and practice and i, I think yeah. the longer the longer you take to make sure it's absolutely right the less forgiving people will be because you've had the time. So there, there's a bit of an irony in mm. there. But um, but I think it's a fantastic idea. I 100% support it. I think it's absolutely essential. But I think we need to look beyond pensions um, either to deliver it 
or to deliver it as something that's going to be totally meaningful in people's financial lives. But yeah, I applaud it. I think it's great. Um, but I'm on the JFDI um, side. <laughs> OK, we'll get there. We'll get there, Margaret. I'm sure it will get there. And I'd actually I'm not even sure this will delay everything that much, if you know what I mean. It's going to delay the big guys going on to later on this year, probably. But, you know, for Broadstone, most of our clients are relatively small, so their deadlines are 24 and beyond. And I think the message to them is just keep working to that 24 mm -hmm. deadline. I don't think I don't think, you know, it, will, it might just concertina a bit at one end. But I think, you know, they're in the regs. That's they're the deadlines. I, I think I think that'll be it. Let's just target that. Let's try and keep the momentum that we've got going. I think that's the mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my, I'm, that's my I'm, I'm pleased message. to hear that, actually, because I would hate to see the whole thing, um, you know, and we'd end up meeting Star Trek coming back, you know, while, you know, we delay getting some of these things done. But, um, that, that's that's just me. I'm, I, I, I like to get things done. And, uh, no, no. He, are you involved on the, on the DPD anymore? I'm not now. No, I, I was. Um, get back on it, Margaret. Get back on it. That's what we need. <laughs> that's where it went wrong. <laughs> that's where it went wrong, yeah. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. I, <laughs> I didn't have time to do it at the time. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, we, we are where we are. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But sometimes you just need to go for it and um, take yeah. a few risks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Margaret, I think we're going to have to we're going to have to call our, our time there. So much to talk about. Literally, I mean, we've got so much more we could have talked about. There's going to be a part three. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, there will be a part three. But um, <laughs> but thank you so much, Margaret, for, for joining us. Stick around. We're just going to do the myth of the month, um, which um, Rachel's going to bust for us this time, which Excellent. is I was going to do an impression of an old person, but maybe I shouldn't. No, I'll get told off. Okay. Yeah, don't do that. So the, 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 <laughs> the myth of the month is um, I'm too old to start a pension. Um, so, Rachel, over to you. Thanks, Dave. So this is a relatively straightforward myth to bust these days, because unless you're already over age 75, after which age you don't get tax relief on your pension contributions, really, you're never too old these days to start saving into a pension. And in fact, in some ways, the older you are, the less downsides there are around pension saving. And um, what I mean by that is that if you start pension saving when you're young, as you ideally would do, so that you can have time to build up a meaningful retirement income over your working life, one of the key downsides of putting your money into pension is that you can't get at that money for years. You can't get at that money at the moment until you're at least 55, soon going up to 57. So it's that trade-off be between you know very tax-efficient long-term savings, but you can't access the money if you need to. The older you are, that access downside falls away and you're just left with a really tax efficient savings pot. So particularly if you're already over 55 and you're thinking about saving a bit towards um, stopping work or, or just saving a bit generally, if you compare pension saving to your ISA, bank account, premium bonds, anything like that, you'll get far more bang for your buck going into a pension, getting your tax relief. You'll also, if you're employed, be enrolled into a workplace pension where you'll benefit from an employer pension contribution, which essentially is a pay rise that you wouldn't get if you weren't in a pension scheme. So it's a real no brainer, especially bearing in mind that these days you can also access the money within your pension flexibly. So you can save it in tax efficiently and you can draw it out as you wish, even in one lump sum, should you choose to do so. So you're never too old to save into pension. Perfect. 
there's a chance for it yet. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hope you've got a pension by now, Margaret. Come on. <laughs> well, it'd be pretty criminal if I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it'd be very odd. Let's just say you have and not get into it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, that's it for this episode. So thank you again, Margaret, for joining us. We really um, love talking to you. Um, but this is a particularly sad episode from my perspective because this is the last one I'll be doing um, with Rachel because Rachel is is moving on to to, to better things. Um, and so we've started this in in the middle of 2021, this little podcast thing, and um, it's been great fun. I've absolutely loved working with you on it and presenting. We've met some great people, had some great conversations. So I just want to wish you all the very best for the future. Stay in touch and maybe we'll get you on as a guest. One Thank day. you, Dave. I do hope you'll have me on as a guest. No, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm still staying in the world of pensions. So familiar territory and I would love to come back as a guest because it has been fantastic experience talking to all the interesting people that we have about pensions and saving and financial well-being brilliant all right well good luck rachel thank you again margaret thanks, and man. thank you thank you listeners for for listening we look forward to just talking to you again sometime thanks bye-bye <laughs>